Genuine faith, the kind of faith that takes action, the kind of faith that takes the Word of God and applies it when it walks out the doors. It's the kind of faith, genuine faith, that helps us to submit and it keeps us from being proud. Can I just confess to you for a moment if I could? You know, there is just, there's a sin that I struggle with. There's, there's just something in my human nature. There's something in my humanity that has this deep-seated aversion to humility. Maybe you can identify with that. Certainly it's not just within my human nature alone, but I'm sure that many of you could say that you sometimes struggle with the same thing, but I struggle with pride. I don't know what it is. I guess I just, I want people to think highly of me. I can beat Juan at racquetball. I just want you to know that, and I, (laughs) I want you to know that I can. I don't know if I still could, but I want to be Pinkerton. Maybe some of you guys can remember that. I want to be first. I want to be the winner work. I want to be the best at my job so that my company leadership will look at me and my peers will look at me and they'll say, man, if you want a great model of management, you just have to do what Harms is doing. Watch Harms. He's got it figured out. I remember that as a a young man, I wanted to be the best athlete. When I played basketball, I wanted people to say, nobody can guard Harms. I love that. When I played softball, I wanted people to say, whatever you do, don't hit the ball towards shortstop because that guy's going to catch it. I'm proud. When I was studying Greek, I wanted to be the top of the class. I wanted everybody to look at me and say, man, this guy has some great linguistic aptitude. He's the best at Greek in the entire class. Although it wasn't true, Kayla, I just couldn't, I couldn't beat her. She was good. I confess to you that sometimes when I talk to my family and I'm recalling the events of my day or maybe even the events of my past that I have a tendency to highlight the things that make me look good. And I have a tendency to avoid mentioning the things that make me look foolish. It's pride. I lack humility. I have to tell you that when it comes to church, I want Root River Church to be the best. I want Root River Church to be the most successful. I want us to be the church that everyone is talking about. I want people to say, wow, God is really doing a work in that church. I don't know what the formula is, but they've got something going on that is working well. And so I'm sorry if you're disappointed to hear that I struggle with pride, but I want to confess that to you because I do. But I don't think this is unique to me. I think there are probably many people who are sitting in this room right now that would say, you know what, Scott, I struggle with pride too. So even in my sin, I'm not a standout. took you a while, but you got that, right? You know, I just wonder, have you ever known anyone who can detail for you how great he is at any particular thing? Or have you ever complimented someone on their talent and you said, wow, you really did a great job. You've got great skill. And they say, yeah, I know, thanks. Or have you ever heard somebody say, well, I have a gift. It's pride, isn't it? Doesn't it come from a heart of pride? It's the opposite of humility. And it's incredibly difficult to conquer. It's incredibly difficult to master. It always reminds me of the man, and I know that I've probably told you this before, but I just love this one. The man who said, well, you know me, Mr. Humble. (laughs) That's one of my favorites, right? I mean, because it's, (laughs) I'm so humble. I'm probably, you know, I'm probably the most humble person I know. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty proud of it. (laughs) 
But it's a real problem with humanity, isn't it? I mean, it's a real problem with humanity. Vanity, narcissism, conceit, egotism, self-importance. Call it what you want. It's pride, and it's mankind's most prevalent and foundational sin. Greek word is a compound, which means to appear above. We want to appear to be above everyone else. We want to appear to be above all of our peers. Man is consumed with pride. Now think about it. What was the first sin in the garden all about? Do you know what that was? It was about pride. It was all about pride. Even the first sin in the garden that caused Eve to disobey God's command said because she wants to be, in Genesis 3, 5, she wants to be like God. She saw that eating the, of the fruit would make her like God, it says. And so she took and she ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She wanted to be like God. Think about that. That doesn't surprise us, does it? I mean, it was the same sin that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven, wasn't it? You can read it for yourself in the book of Isaiah. He wanted to be like God, and in his pride, he became puffed up, and he was subsequently rejected by God. In his pride, he set himself up to oppose God and to usurp the authority and the glory and the position of God Almighty himself. And that's what happens to those people who are filled with that kind of pride. They set themselves up in opposition to God. They set themselves up as his opponents, and they set themselves up as people who would usurp the position and the glory of God. And did you know that the Bible teaches that God opposes the proud? Did you know that? In Psalm 18, 27, it's written, For you will save the humble people, but you will bring down proud looks. Psalm 101, 5 says, The one who has a proud look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. Proverb 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate, says God. Proverb 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a proud spirit before a fall. Proverb 18.12, before destruction the heart of man is proud and before honor is humility. Proverb 29.23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And even Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 23 and also in the book of Luke in chapter 14, whoever exalts himself will be what? Humbled. He who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, I want you to know that God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. And now you're going to remember that, I trust, as we go through our message today. But God opposes the proud. You'll know that as we made our way through the book of James, we've remembered that James is about a series of tests. We're encountering a series of tests which are designed to help us determine the genuineness of our faith. You remember that. We've learned that not everyone who claims to be a genuine believer really is. Not everyone who claims to be saved really is. There are those who have been deceived into thinking that their faith is genuine when in fact it is not. There are those who have been deceived to thinking that they are on their way to heaven when in fact they are not. They're on the path to hell, the Bible teaches. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us a parable known as the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he tells us a parable to illustrate for us that Satan has actually planted lookalikes within the walls of the church. Did you know that? 
Satan has actually planted lookalikes within the walls of the church. They look like real believers. They carry their Bible just like real believers. They have a little fish on the back of their car just like real believers. They probably have the radio set to, what is it, 105.3? Is that the one? They look like real believers. They go to church with you. They sit here among you. They raise their hands. But they're not genuine. And in the end, they'll be separated from the real believers and they'll be destroyed. The sad thing is many of them don't even know that they're not real. And so this is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, and we've gone here over and over again. I want you to get this in your minds, and I want you to hang on to it. Paul tells us in the 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians that you must be continually examining yourselves, continually testing yourselves to see that you really are in the faith. You have to make sure that you examine yourselves often. And so James then, as you know, as we've made our way through the first four chapters, has given us several tests to help us determine if we really are believers. And that's what our passage for today is. And so I'm going to take you to verses 6 and 7 today in chapter 4. For those of you who are visiting or maybe new with us, we take an expository and a sequential approach to Scripture, which means that we just start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and we work our way all the way through to the end of that book. And we'll stop and we'll put everything as best we can in its proper grammatical and historical context so that we understand what the Holy Spirit had intended when he inspired the Scripture. And so in James chapter 4, we've made it now to verse 6, and this is at the heart of the matter of pride. This is what it says in verse 6. Therefore it says, God does what? He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And you've heard many references to that just in the last few moments. But this is simply in this portion of James chapter 4, a continuation of the notion that James began in verse 4, where he says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Listen, friends, the world system is proud and it is sinful and it stands in complete opposition to the design and the order of God. Did you get that? The world system stands in complete opposition to the order and the design of God. The world system says, I have to be first. The world system says, I have to be Pinkerton. I have to win at every game that I ever play. And God's system says, you have to be last. The world system says, I have to be master. I have to be in control. And God's system says, you have to be servant. The world system says, Embrace pride. God's system says, embrace humility. They're polar opposites. They stand very clearly in opposition to one another. God's system and the world system are diametrically opposed to one another. And I want you to understand, friends, this is so important. You cannot live in both at the same time. You can't live in both systems at the same time. And that's the point of the passage. That's the point that James is trying to make here. He says these two systems are opposed and God resists those who are opposed to him. God resists those who are proud. Those are the ones who insist on their own self-rule. They're the ones who insist on deciding their own direction in life. They're the ones who resist God. They say, I'm in control of my own destiny. Nobody can tell me what is right. Have you ever heard that? No one can tell me what is wrong. I will decide for myself what morality is. 
I will decide for myself what is right and wrong. I don't care what the law of God says. I live by my own law. I will define morality for myself. I will define sin for myself. And so in doing that, friends, they take for themselves the role of the creator. They take for themselves the role of God and they usurp his authority and they usurp his rule. They try to take for themselves the prerogative of God. They love the self-rule system. They love the way this world works. And they won't submit to the rule of God. you see that? But the one whose faith is genuine obviously does not oppose God, does he? The one whose faith is genuine does not oppose God. So listen, it is safe to say that if you live a lifestyle which demonstrates a love of this world, if you live a lifestyle that demonstrates a persistence of self-rule and seeking your own satisfaction rather than submitting to God's rule, you have a reason to wonder if your faith is genuine. If you insist on ruling yourself, if you insist on defining morality by your own standards, if you insist on controlling your own destiny, friends, you have reason to wonder if your faith is genuine. You have reason to wonder if you're a lover of this world. And how do you know? How do you know if you're a lover of this world rather than a lover of God? How do you know if you're proud or if you're humble? Take a look at verse 7. This is what it says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And we're just going to stop right there. First, friends, listen to this. If you love God, you'll be humble. You'll submit yourself to God. See, the unfortunate thing is that pride does not want to submit to anyone, does it? I know more than him. Why would I do what he says? Pride wants to rule everyone. Isn't that what it wants to do? But, friends, if you are humble, you will submit. You will not try to be above the rule of God. You will not try to be above the rule of the master. Rather, you will put yourself beneath the rule of God. The Greek word is hypotasso. And it's a really interesting word. It's to line up under. And it's the very first step to genuine faith. You cannot ever come to a place of true repentance. You cannot ever come to a place of genuine faith if you are not first willing to submit and line up under the rule of God. This word hypotasso always reminds me of my days in the military. It's, you know, the very first thing that I did when I joined the, the army is I learned really quickly that I needed to learn how to line up under authority. You have to learn very quickly that you're going to line up under authority. And the army has a great way of doing that. To teach me how to do that, they sent me to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri in the middle of July and August. And I was there for about 10 weeks um, for basic training. And when I got there, they did a great job of helping me learn to line up under authority. The first thing they did was give me a new haircut. I mean, it was, it was stylish. It was, it was fresh. I looked good. And they gave me this new wardrobe. But then they took me and they loaded me up into this cattle truck. Do you remember the cattle truck? They put you in this cattle truck and they started to haul me across the base. And when they loaded me up and I and got me across base and they went to take me off of the cattle truck and I had a drill sergeant waiting there for me, I learned immediately what it meant to line up under the will of someone else. I learned immediately what it meant to line up under the rule of someone else. You see, for those 10 weeks, I had absolutely no control of my life at all. Did you know that? I had no control. I was completely humble. 
I was completely submissive. I got out of bed when they told me to get out of bed. I exercised when they told me to exercise. I ate my meals when they told me to eat. In fact, I ate them as fast as they told me to eat. I used the bathroom and I showered when they told me to. I did what I was told to do. I humbled myself and I submitted completely to someone else's rule over me. Now, I want you to just imagine for a minute. What do you suppose would have happened if I had said, you know, I think the army is pretty cool. I mean, you guys got the sweet haircuts and you got these nice clothes and great benefits. But to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not really all that crazy about getting up at four o'clock in the morning to do PT. So I'll tell you what, drill sergeant, here's what I'm going to do. You guys go ahead. And when I finally drag myself out of bed around 10 o'clock, I'll just catch up to you. How about this one? Drill Sergeant, I really don't like marching around in a formation everywhere I go. And those cadences that you make me sing, they're really stupid. I really don't even feel like saying them, to be perfectly honest with you. So I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I'll tell you what, you guys go ahead and march on over to the chow hall. I'll just call an Uber. I'll catch up with you in about 10 minutes. How do you think that would have gone over? Well, I would have gotten a ticket home pretty quickly, I'm sure. Why? Because to be in the army, I had to submit myself completely to their rule. I gave up all my rights. I didn't get to pick and choose the things that I liked. I gave my life over completely. I gave up self-rule and I followed the direction of this guy that had that weird hat on. That's what James is intending here. He says you have to submit yourselves to God. You line up under him. I always get the kick out of the people who ask, you know, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you ever heard that? I love that one. Have you ever made Jesus your Lord and Savior? And I think I understand what they intend, but to be perfectly honest with you, I I think it's important that we know that we don't make him Lord. I want you to know that. The Father made him Lord. And if he is truly your Savior, you will submit to his rule in your life. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord. The Father made him Lord. And if he is truly your Savior, you will submit your life to him completely. You don't make him Lord. He already is. He already rules. The question is, do you willingly lay down your life of self-rule and completely submit yourself to his authority and rule of your life? Friends, listen to me. That's what it means for him to be Lord. And I want you to know that if he is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. Did you catch that? If he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. I swear that when I was in basic training, that drill sergeant, like his only purpose in life was to make me miserable. That's why he was there. I mean, he was constantly shouting at me. I really didn't care for that. And, you know, he had that, that hat on. And when he was shouting at me, he would go like this with his, and he's, you know, poking you in the, as he's talking to you and yelling at you and he's hitting you in the head with that thing and you're, you know, he's trying to make you move and, and if you move, what's going to happen? He's going to yell at you even more, right? I mean, he was mean to me. He was always waking me up early. He was always making me crawl through mud. He was making me do, you know, calisthenics and exercises until I wanted to throw up. Did I tell you he was shouting at me a lot? His rule was heavy. He was very, very heavy-handed. He was very burdensome. That's the way it is for people who line themselves up 
under the rule of Satan. That's the way it is for people who love the world. Listen closely, friends. That's the way it is for people who love the way and the method and the cosmos of this existing world. Listen to me. Satan and sin are very, very cruel masters. They will take your dignity from you. They will drag you through the painful effects of addiction. They will make you crawl through the mud and the muck of perversion. They will make you crawl through the the mud and the muck of sorrow over broken relationships. And as long as you continue to live under the control of the world, that's exactly what you're going to get. More cruelty, more brokenheartedness. But I want you to know that that's not the way it is when you submit to the rule of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 11 verse 28, I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you will find rest for your weary souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what it means to serve Jesus Christ. And it's funny because people will often say, you know, I don't want to become a Christian. There are just too many rules and I can't do anything fun. I can't do any of the stuff I want to do. How many of you have ever heard that? I I don't want to be a Christian because you can't do any of the cool stuff anymore, you know? Friends, I want you to know, I want to say this to you again. Satan and sin are cruel taskmasters. That's not how it is with Jesus Christ. He's gentle, he's mild, and he provides rest for those who have been oppressed and brutalized by the mastery of sin. God is not a buzzkill. To submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, friends, is not to sit in a candlelit room for the rest of your life reciting the Greek alphabet. It's to find true contentment. It's to find true joy. Living a life of submission to the principles of Scripture is not just something for old people to do. It's where you find fulfillment. That's where you're going to find real blessing. He is not constantly dominating you. He is not constantly shouting at you and forcing you to do spiritual calisthenics. He's not doing that. Friends, I want you to hear this. Parents, I think one of the most valuable lessons that you could ever teach your children is that the yoke or the rule of Jesus Christ is not burdensome. I think one of the best things you could ever teach your children is that Satan and sin are cruel masters. Parents... Teach your kids early that the yoke of Jesus Christ is light and that his burden is easy. You would do well to not make it seem that the yoke and the burden of Jesus Christ is painful. You hear? We need to be careful not to use the word of God as a tool to be authoritarian and controlling of our children. We use it to guide them. We use it to help them understand the privilege and the blessing of living lives of submission to Jesus Christ. That's what we use it for. We want them to understand the liberty. We want them to understand the freedom of honoring God with their life patterns. Isn't that what you want your children to know about the love of Jesus Christ and the rule of Jesus Christ over your life? There's blessing there. It's easy. So to continue the self-examination in Scripture, I want you to just ask yourselves this question. Have I completely submitted myself to the rule of Jesus Christ? Or in my pride do I insist on self-rule in some areas? Because if you're not completely submitted to Jesus Christ, 
If there are areas that you refuse to turn over control of your life, I want you to know that you may need to ask yourself if your faith is real. Now, you can be sure that anyone who's in submission to Christ is still going to face some opposition. You're still going to have some problems. It happens that way. Remember that when we were in the book of Ephesians, I told you that wherever the kingdom of God is making progress and making advances, the kingdom of darkness is sure to be close behind trying to create opposition. Satan and his kingdom are constantly fighting and battling the work of God. And if you'll remember from Ephesians, I told you that that our job is to do what? It's to stand firm, right? Our job is to stand. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, what does he do? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And verse 9 says, Do what? Resist him. So Peter tells us that we need to be ready at all times because the devil wants to shipwreck your faith. And so you have to be prepared. You have to watch for potential pitfalls. You have to be properly outfitted in your armor so that you may stand and that you may resist Unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of people that don't resist at all. Did you know that? There are just some activities that we know are wrong. There are some activities that we know are destructive, but we love them so much, we love that sin so much that we don't resist at all. Did you hear that? And whenever I think of that truth, it always reminds me of Samson. How many of you remember Samson? That guy had some problems. And not the least of them was that Samson loved women and he could not get control of his lust. He was known to visit prostitutes and he fell in love with a Philistine woman of Sorek named Delilah. And as you know, Delilah was paid by the Philistine leaders to seduce Samson and to discover the secret of his great strength so that they could capture him and kill him. They wanted to subdue him. And so time and time again, Delilah asked him, Samson, what is the secret to your great strength? And he would tell her, you know, it was ropes. And so what would she do? She'd tie him up with new ropes. I don't know why. Then he would tell her something else. And she would try that. And I wondered, what in the world is he thinking? The first time that you tell Delilah, ropes are the thing. You know, new ropes, you tie me up with new ropes, and I'm not going anywhere. And she tries it. Don't you begin to think, wait a minute, this is something's not cool here. But Samson didn't do that. He kept going back, and he kept flirting around with this woman, and he kept playing around with this woman, and she kept asking time and time and time again. He could not stay away from that woman. And he kept going back, and ultimately the guy told the woman inexplicably the real truth to the secret of his great strength. And what was that? It was his hair, right? And so he told her that. And so what did she do? She cut it off while he was asleep. Sure enough, he was captured. He was tied up. He was subdued. His eyes were plucked away from his head. That's the way it is for many believers. Listen to me now. For Samson, it was women. For other people who claim to be believers, maybe it's something else. But one of the tests of genuine faith, according to James in verse 7, is this. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, Satan stands in opposition to God. Do you stand in opposition to Satan? Do you resist him? 
God stands in opposition to Satan. So listen, you are either with God or you are with Satan. If you are living in submission to God, then you live in opposition to Satan. Now, knowing that, don't you think that someone who is a genuine believer in Jesus Christ would have a level of resistance to the schemes of the devil? Wouldn't you think that would be true? So if you're someone who sits in church every week and you're someone who names the name of Jesus Christ and yet you, just like Samson, have no resistance to the devil at all and his attempts to lead you astray and to push you into sin, then friends, listen closely. You need to ask yourselves again, am I a real believer? Is my faith genuine? Am I the real deal? Friends, examine yourselves closely. There's zero margin for error. Do you resist the devil? Or do you roll over? Genuine believers resist and they stand. That's not to say that genuine believers never fall into temptation. Don't get me wrong. Of course they do. But I want you to know that it's not the pattern of their lives. They put on the belt of truth. They put on the breastplate of righteousness. They put on the shoes of the gospel and they take up the shield and they all huddle together in the protection of the body of Christ and they stand firm and they put up a strong resistance and they resist him. They still fail from time to time, but they resist. Do you understand? And they begin to win more and more often. And the good news is that when you resist, the Bible teaches that the devil will do what? That he'll flee, won't he? All you have to do is resist. And this, friends, this is an important truth for us to grasp. I want you to get this. Remember what we said about Satan? This is so important. You cannot bind him. You cannot cast him. You don't have to worry about those things. God has already made plans for that. When God is ready, he himself will bind Satan and he will cast him into the lake of fire. You don't need to mess around with that. What you need to do is to understand that until such time as God does that himself, Satan will prowl around and he will roar looking for somebody to devour. But if you submit yourselves to God, if you remain under his lordship, you can resist. Do that and he'll lose interest. Do that, and he'll move on to someone else. You don't have to worry about him. He'll come around from time to time to fire off a a dart or two of temptation, but all you have to do is stand firm and resist, and the Bible says he'll flee from you. He'll, He'll move on. Friends, you need to spend some time examining yourselves. Can I just ask you to do that? I know we've done that every Sunday, it seems like, since we've begun our study at the beginning of the year. But remember, that's the message of the book of James. Look closely at yourselves and ask yourselves, is my faith genuine? Is my faith of the real saving variety? And then you have to act. Take action on what you've learned. If you're here this morning and you know that you've never given up your life of self-rule, to submit to the will and the lordship of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to submit yourself to him. Submit. Bend your knee to him. How long will you stand in opposition to God? How long will you be ruled by Satan? How long will you allow your life to be controlled and ruled by sin? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Submit to him and give your life over to the control of Jesus Christ. And friends, if you're here this morning and you know that you have an area of your life where you do not resist, if you know that you have sin in your life that you just love so much that you justify it, you explain it away, time and time again, you say it's not that bad. Everybody does it. 
So what if I do that? You do this. If that's you, I just want to ask you a question. Is it possible that your faith is not real? Is it possible that you're a tear or a weed planted in the middle of a wheat field? Submit to the Lordship of Christ in your life and resist before it's too late. Can I encourage you to do that this morning? Father, I thank you so much for your grace. It has no limits. It knows no bounds. I thank you that we can know that if we come and submit ourselves to you and turn away from sin, that you're faithful and that you'll forgive us. So Lord, I just pray for anyone in this room who may not have ever come to a place where they've completely surrendered their life and submitted their own will to the control of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that this would be their day. I pray that they would give up their self-rule and their pride and in humility they would bend their knee to you and they would submit to your will and your purpose for their lives. I pray that you would forgive them and empower them to live that life. Lord, I pray for people in this room right now who may not be the genuine article. I ask God that you would reveal to them the lostness of their own souls and the peril that they're in. I pray, God, that you would liberate them from any sense of false security. I pray that in the wheat field of Root River Church, there'd be no weeds be no tares that are lookalikes that at the end of time when you harvest that no one here will be the one who says Lord, Lord didn't I do all of these great things in your name just to hear you say I never knew you you were wheat God I pray if there are those here this morning that you would bring deep heavy conviction to their hearts this morning. Creating them a clean heart and bring to them joy of salvation we ask these things in Jesus' name.